0: what's up guys welcome back to another episode of the america's pastime podcast episode 196 we are back after a week off the apt boys went down we both wound up getting sick at the same time travis gave me covid 800 miles away but it's all good we're we're healthy we're ready to go and uh this is gonna be probably our biggest episode yet in terms of just like the sheer volume of news there's a flurry of moves that of course happened when Travis and I both go down it was poor timing to say the least but we we're going to go through each trade from the last signing that we, we talked about which was the Yusei Kikuchi signing with the Blue Jays uh, that was on March 12th so as you can tell today is the 21st it's been about eight days so we we'll probably had around 20 major moves some of which we're going to quickly gloss over just to like, note them and others will, you know, break more into because they have more significance. Um, with that, the first move that we're going to go into is a trade between the Athletics, of course, and the Mets, and then Chris Bassett to the Mets. The Athletics received two pitching prospects, JT Jin and Adam Olair. Uh, Jin, I believe, was a higher, it's a higher ranked prospect. Yes, he's now slots into the Oakland's number four. And Olaya is number nineteen. Uh, Jan is coming off Tommy John surgery. A uh, pretty solid prospect to say the least, and I think that he's still young enough and has a good enough of his track record when he was drafted that he's still uh, a prospect that can pan out for them. And Olaya was a Rule Five guy, and I think just looking at his numbers briefly, he I, I think the the Athletics are kind of use him in like a a role right now in the league with him being twenty seven years old, probably him like a little 60 to 80 inning showcase to see if he can be like that next relief pitcher that a team's been finding in recent years. You know, like Clay Holmes, Garrett Whitlock, so on of that uh, ilk that they could you know turn into a major league pitcher. But you know the, the biggest part of it is Chris Bassett. He will I would say he's nicely slot into the Mets three spot right behind you know the GOAT and Max Scherzer. And he is a type of guy who definitely is uh, pitches different. There are a lot of guys in the league now, especially uh, the first two guys in that rotation, Scherzer and Jerome. He is like a, like a like nine-high velocity, more of like a finesse pitcher, relies on a six-pitch mix. Uh, three fastballs, you know, sinker, forcing cutter, and then a changeup, slider, curveball. So he's throwing all over a lot of keeping batters off balance, soft contact that's evident by like a, his barrel rate, which is uh, 68%, which is red. Expecting batting average, his walk rate, taxes zone, his average exit velocity, hard hit percentage of both right at 76 and 88 percentile. So he's a guy that is not going to blow you away, a low whiff rate, uh, middle of the pack chase, um, chase rate and strikeout rate, but keeps the ball in the ballpark. Gets a lot of soft contact, limits damage and basically every other way. And that's kind of his bread and butter in the league uh, career year last year with a three one five year array. Over 157 in a third inning. So, a good pickup for the Mets nonetheless. Uh, Travis, if you want to quickly add anything on Bassett and Mets' rotation as a whole, you can go Yeah, I right mean, now.
1: huge addition for the Mets. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Bassett's pitching style, fastball average uh, velocity of 93.5, slightly below average uh, for the major leagues. So, is that um, really below yeah, average now?
0: I, starter, I believe the average
1: be. is 94 miles an hour. Yeah.
0: For a starter, I think it's probably still probably closer to average.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's close to average. I mean, if anything, it's half a mile an hour below average, yeah. but still, for for a guy who, you know, is, you know, he was the one or two guy on um, Oakland uh, by the end of last year. I mean, you probably could have argued he, he might have been slightly better than Manea um, by the end of the year. Um, but, you know, for for a guy who's, you know, undoubtedly the one, number one or number two starter on a team, generally he's, you know, he fits today's, um, uh, you know, forms to today's traditional ace, who's high velocity, uh, you know, huge strikeout guy, K per nine of only 9.1 in 2021. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned, his fastball, uh, average fastball velocity is, you know, right around the, the league average. So, um you know it definitely not traditional pitcher in today's game but he gets it done low walks low home runs and I mean that's all you can ask for 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 a guy especially as your number three but I mean to have him as your number three is like absolutely absurd that rotation is going to be disgusting I like this past week was basically the Jays and the Mets trying to one-up each other with their rotation so
0: yeah I mean the Mets have been well, we're the busiest team, I would say, before the the lockout. Now, after they you know made another big move as a rotation, uh, but yeah, uh, Bassett's bread and butter, butters at sinker and a changeup. Those are, I would say, his best two pitches. And in terms of like run value, they they both rate as you know like the highest negative values, which in that in that category is good. And, you know, he keeps the ball down, ground ball pitcher, you know, the soft contact, all that's good. And, he, he, yeah, he, he'll be the three in the rotation. I think they're, they're going to go DeGrom, they go Scherzer, and then Bassett, and probably Tyron Walker. Then they have Carrasco, T- Taylor McGill, David Peterson, and Trevor Williams as insurance options. So they have a very deep rotation, have a lot of options. And, you know, with some question marks, you know, DeGrom's elbow went last year. Uh, Scherzer's getting up there in age. And, I I don't think that that dead arm or whatever he experienced late last year will really be much of an impact, but just, you know, with his age, I think it's still something the Mets might want to monitor a little bit. And then um, Walker faded down the the, the second half. Uh, Carrasco is, uh, I would say he's rather a question mark. He hasn't really pitched a ton for uh, multiple different reasons, whether it be like him being, you know, being sick and then him having injury. Then McGill and Peterson are both, and they are both two young guys. And then they Williams, who's a, has been in the league for a little bit, but he's still a guy who's capable of giving them quality major league innings. So I think it's a good move for the Mets. And after that, uh, a quick move I want to go over is the Mets also signed Adam Onavino for a one-year $4 million deal. He's a guy that has pitched really um, – uh, pitched at the Rockies and into the Yankees and into Boston. He's been a, a very good reliever over the past you know, few years. Uh, he and he's always been a very like first-half guy. In terms of his numbers, like his career right in the first half is in the threes and post all-star breaks in the fives. So I guess that's kind of where um, the Mets have to maybe use him and or look out for that. I don't know. If it's, it's kind of a trend that's been going on. So that's a little something with Adobino. Uh After that, uh, this is another one we can kind of dive into quickly. Uh, you can take the lead a little bit more on this. Uh, the Reds trade Sonny Gray to the Twins. The Reds received pitching prospect Chase Petty. And was that really it? I don't know. That's all it says. That's all I write down. Um, and then the Twins also received minor league pitcher Frances Piguero. So I guess you can yeah. kind of jump in on what you think. Yeah, so, I mean,
1: mean. Sonny Gray going to the Twins, that's huge. The Twins had, uh, you know, a disappointing to say the least 2021 season. They were – um, right up there with the White Sox, projected to you know them and the White Sox were projected to finish one two in that American League Central, and that just did not happen. Um, you know, but Sonny Gray, like ever since uh, Trevor Bauer uh, went to Cincinnati, you know Sonny Gray is a guy who greatly uh, benefited from that wisdom and uh, knowledge that Bauer passed down. Um, you know, I've I've seen tons of interviews. Um, you know, uh, of Sonny Gray just, you know, praising uh, the different things that Trevor Bauer uh, brought to the to the Reds between, uh, you know, it, you know, Rap Soto and uh, the Trackman and uh, all that all that other sort of stuff. Uh, I'm sure sticky stuff was involved with that to a degree, but um, I mean, all the other stuff in terms of spin rates like uh, Gray was talking about how statistically he has the number one curveball spin in the league. Um, but just up until that 2019 season, um, when he really seemed to bro- break out, um, he, he just couldn't figure out how to locate it and how to use it properly and all that sort of stuff. So I think Gray's the, the kind of guy who, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer, uh, he can really attribute his, uh, success to Trevor Bauer, but I mean, you know, like I said, ever since 2019, he's been an absolute force. Um, you know, 2019 was kind of his breakout year, ERA of 2. Uh, 87 he's another guy uh, similar to bassett with a low fastball of uh, average velocity um, you know in 2021 it was 92.6 um, but huge ground ball guy uh you know career average ground ball percentage of 52.3 percent so keeps the ball on the ground really well um, he had a sort of a little bit of a regression in 2021. Uh, you know, the the walk per nine stayed down, which is really nice to see. But the home run per nine really shot up and the K per nine took a dip from what it was in 2020. Um, I think that could have been attributed to some injuries, only pitched 150 or 135 innings uh, in 2021. So I think he'll look to rebound with the Twins. Uh, but nevertheless, the Twins are looking for, um, you know, an, another good pitcher that they can have after, trading away Barrios at the deadline last year. Um, I think they still have Maeda, which is good for them. And then now adding on uh, Gray as your one, two, that's pretty lethal if uh, Gray can return to his 2020-2019 form. Um, And, you know, as for their return, um, you know, the the Reds probably could have gotten a little bit more. I'm not sure where the prospect they got in return ranked um, in terms of, uh, you know their their prospect rankings but uh nevertheless still a very good move and you know we'll talk about um you know another signing that they made a little bit later um the the twins are looking like a pretty good team um you know
0: yeah i mean they had a good core in place uh and i mean even though they traded uh burrios last year and they Lost my Ma- Maeda and Pineda. So, I mean, I think the rotation is something that they might address at some point, but overall, Absolutely. I still think that the team is good. Also, the Reds' prospect they got, Chase Petty was their first-round pick. Not, I mean a, fir- okay. a first-round pick, 26 overall, in last year's draft. I thought they got another prospect. I guess I must have mixed him up with the Twins guy. They also um, they also got in addition with Gray. And, and the last thing, too, is Gray is in the last year of his four-year, $38 million deal. And he has a twelve million dollar club option for twenty thirty, which I'm sure the Twins are exercised. Uh, one quick one to go over is the Phillies sign, Jerry's Familia, longtime Met, not finding his way in another NL East team, and that's just uh, the Phillies. You know, continuing to address their bullpen. Uh, the last few years we have seen them made like a multitude of moves to try to you know make the best out of the bullpen. Uh, Familia is like a has been a very good relief pitcher at the time. I think yeah, recently he's not that it's the same self, but still has a very high velocity sinker. Uh, average ninety six point four miles an hour a year, and he just gets a lot of weak contact and ground balls. So for a bullpen guy like that, I think it's it's a very good sign for Familia who keeps the ball in the ballpark. And I think if he gets the walks under control, he uh he can be again a very good relief pitcher. Um, stanking in the National League East, I think a lot of the moves I actually had in the NBA, NL East, is uh, Nelson Cruz, a one-year, $15 million contract with the Nats. He's going to be their designated hitter. Or he's like, I think he's 42 years old now, and he's just the guy that is just going to continue to mash. So I like to sign for the Nationals. It gives them a nice bat in the middle of their lineup next to Juan Soto as well. It's kind of funny how big their age difference is, too. Yeah. Almost, like, almost 20 years, but both guys just killed the cover off the baseball. So that's basically all got on Cruz.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, that was almost, you could say, a shocking, like a shock of a signing, um, you know, definitely with that Universal DH addition with the CBA, um, you know, Cruz's market significantly increased. There were probably, as opposed to, like, I think the amount of teams that, could sign him almost doubled. Um, like I, I, I'm pretty sure it was close to probably around maybe 10, um, in the AL and, you know, that jumped significantly to around 20, I think with the addition of the NL, um, and, you know, with every NL team looking for a DH, I think, uh, you know, his market significantly increased, but, you know, we, we see that right away. Um, Cruz signing with the uh, Nationals, a little bit of an overpay. And I think that is the result of um, the increase in the luxury tax uh, threshold. Um, you know, teams are benefiting from that extra $20 million that they have to spend this year. Um, and, you know, we definitely saw that with uh, the Cruz signing and a, and a couple other signings as well. Um, but, you know, cruise will be good again for the nationals definitely provides some uh, lineup protection for Juan Soto. Um, I don't think Juan Soto will have like over, you know, 150 walks or whatever he had last year again, cause, uh, you know, teams will be forced to pitch to him. Um, I, I, they'll probably pitch Soto in front of Nel uh, in front of Cruz, but, um, you know, teams will have to pitch to both of them just because of, Um, you know, the threat that they both are. But I think Cruz will still be a force uh, for the Nationals um, in 2022, especially. And I I think this trend of him signing one-year deals, given the fact that he's 41. What's that?
0: He's a mercenary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's going to sign one-year deals for the rest of his career um, just because of his age. I mean, we've never seen anything like this before. Um, But, you know, coming off a season when, where he hit 32 home runs uh, with 79 runs scored and 86 RBIs, had three stolen bases as well, which is, you know, nice to see the speed uh, coming back. Just kidding. Um, But, you know, his K percentage, like his blade discipline is really good. I mean, his K percentage is in the low 20%. And for a guy who exclusively relies on his production off, you know, from power is, you know, that's really nice to see as well. Uh, I think the Nationals are hoping he'll return to his 2019 form. That seemed like the golden year for a lot of guys, uh, I'm finding, 2019.
0: Yeah, that was but, a good year. Yeah. Good, good year. All right, so moving on. We still got a lot of moves. So I'm trying to be as concise as possible. Yeah. Um, this is a, this was a big trade. Uh, the first of the big, uh, like another big flurry trade of teams. And that was uh, a Yankees-Twins trade, something Gary Sanchez and Jiro Urshela to the Twins for Isaiah Conafalefa, Josh Johnson, and Ben Vorvert. I don't want to say his last name. So that's my fault there. And this was like, a, I guess you can call it more of like a shakeup up move. Um, you know, the the Twins went up trading Mitch Garver for Isaiah Conafalefa. And I, I guess there's some type of talks between the three teams. I don't, really, uh, I don't really know too much about that. But uh, Gary is now going to be catching for the Twins, basically a swap for Garver. Uh, but the Yankees swapped Gio and Johnson. And the Yankees taking on the, the Donaldson money, and they also got another backup catcher in the mix. Uh, so it, it kind of seems like a good like shakeout for both uh, teams. Uh, the Yankees, I would say, made an upgrade at third base, which is how good Donaldson is. Uh, Gio Shell was like a very good find for them going when the 2019. Uh, he was good in 2020 again. Um, with Donaldson, this is like a much proven, you know, old ex-MVP type player, still has a lot to offer offensively and defensively, so I think the Yankees did well there, taking in all the money um, I guess with the catcher they finally moved on from Gary Sanchez, I, I, I do believe he is going to be a big change of scenery type of guy, I, I expect both him and Gio to be very good with the Twins makes that lineup very good, very deep uh, the Yankees got Connor Fleffa too, who's like a I'll say more of a soft hitting defense and speed type of guy. I I think it will complement the Yankees lineup very well. And the, the left side defense they're getting with him is something I, they very much needed. And uh, with them going for the stopgap shortstop with Anthony Bulb coming up in a few years, I I really do like to the fit there and Donaldson as well. And then another backup catcher Ben uh Robert. I I am so bad at the name I'm so I apologize there. But yeah, a defense first guy and with him being a lefty, like Ashioka's a righty, you can probably see them have some type of platoon going on there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean I think this was the first blockbuster trade of the uh you know the second half of the offseason I would say. Um acquiring Donaldson is huge. Um, you know, the and getting Kiner Falefa as well um really shores up the uh, you know, the left side of that infield. Um, the The main question with Donaldson is, is can he stay healthy? Um, if he's healthy, he's a huge power guy who'll give you pretty good defense. Um, and, you know, of flefa as well at shortstop. Again, he's that stopgap shortstop that, uh, you know, the Yankees were looking for. Uh, you know, they were either going to uh, trade for a, one of the prospect or, sorry, one of the, uh, the shortstops on the trade market or um, they were going to sign one of the big names and I think Uh, They started to realize that they were not as they weren't in the position to acquire um, one of those shortstops, you know, um, in the position that they'd like to be to acquire one of those guys. So I think that's why they went out and uh, acquired Kiner Falefa. But nevertheless, I think he will be very good for them. Uh, Really good defensive shortstop. And, you know, he brings some speed to that lineup as well. Um, So, you know, overall, really good trade for both teams, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, now we're gonna start moving into well, March fourteenth. Finally, you no, know, we still a long way to go. But uh, the big <laughs> one of the day, I think, the biggest of the day, is the Matt Olson trade. Uh, the A's trade Matt Olson to the Braves for center fielder Christian Pache and minor leaguers Shea Laguerre's Langoliers. I oh, don't know. That's that's a tough one for me too. Joey Etz and Ryan Kusick. Uh, th- th- I'm pretty sure all four of those guys ranked in the top fifteen of the Braves system. So the A's got a haul from Matt Olson, and I mean there's, there's a lot of things to unpack right there. I guess first I'll talk about how the Braves would then extend Matt Olson for eight years, 100, and how, you know did they do the dollar thing? I think it was eight years, 168.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay,
0: yeah, one, and then. Let's see, eight years, 168. Yep. Okay. And his deal runs through 2029 and it includes a $20 million club option for 2030 with no buyout. So he's going to be a brilliant for a long time. And I, it, again, Freeman is gone. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that again. I mean, I'm kind of just going back into like my you know, March 14th mindset. So, but yeah, yeah you, Um, Freeman's gone. And that's a replacement to the guy. If you want to include like the last three years, you know, Olson had 11.6 war on fan graphs. Freeman is 11.7. So, I mean, on the field, they're really not going to be missing all too much. I mean, obviously, the, the Freeman himself will be missed. He's a, a 12-year Brave, uh, definitely like a Hall of Famer when he, once he's even retired. Uh, he probably will go in as a Brave. Um, but you know, offensively, they both kind of put out like, very similar offensive outputs in terms of value. And defensively, I think Olsen has the leg up. And then when he comes down to... Is how old Olsen is too. I think just the value there for the Braves, and I guess when you we saw how much Freeman signed for too, they wound up getting Olsen for you know a few years, a few extra years. because so his, his contract will still end. Um, he'll be uh, end as an, at an earlier age than Freeman, and for less AV AAV. So I, I think when it comes down to it, uh, I think it was a good move for the Braves. It was definitely a tough decision for them but getting Matt Olson, you get, you know, like uh, the second or third best first baseman in, in baseball and you lose Freeman. But I mean, I, I think if you're going to have anyone replace Freddie Freeman as a brace first baseman, getting Matt Olson is probably the best place to go to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, huge props to the A's, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into some more of the moves they've made, but uh, you know, the the prospect capital that they've acquired over the past week, um, I think that's enough to field an entire team. Like, I mean, the amount of guys they brought in is is crazy. Um, you know, this is what the A's do; they develop these really, really good, um, you know, uh, prospects to turn into superstars at the major league level, and then they flip them for a boatload of prospects, and then repeat the process over and over again. So uh, you know, getting Pache and, uh, you know, the catcher, uh, prospect, um, really, really good to acquire. I believe those were like two of the top three prospects in the eight a- in the Braves organization. And then I think, um, one of the pitchers they acquired as well was, uh, within the top five or something like that. And then the other one was their number 14 prospect. So, uh, the A's got a haul, like you said, um, you know, that's, insane and uh, Pache will be able to uh, slot right into the outfield he was playing at the major league level for the Braves last year just couldn't quite find a place um, with the Braves but uh, he'll get everyday reps and uh, he'll be starting every single day for the A's um, as for the catching prospect they acquired um, you know he might take another year or two to develop in the minor leagues but I think the A's will turn him into something really really good and you know, the A's are a team that need a catcher right now. So again, that's, you know, really good for them. And then, yeah, you touched heavily on the Olsen aspect of the trade, but I, I'm definitely in agreement with you. If you're losing uh, a top three first baseman in free agency, you're best to go and get another one in, uh, in free agency as well. So, um, you know, uh, I've heard from Jeremy on this. He's uh, a little bit... Questionable in terms of the move, he, he doesn't quite understand um, what the Braves were thinking, but uh, I guess the Braves um, thought that signing a 27-year-old um, first baseman for eight, eight plus one years um, and taking the compensatory draft pick um, and losing Freeman was the better option than uh, acquiring free or uh, you know re-signing Freeman. And um, I also heard that the the Braves were not uh, very aggressive with pursuing Freeman in free agency as well. Um, apparently, he only got about three calls from them. Which, as a player, that kind of rubs you the wrong way when uh, you know the the team that you've poured your heart and soul into doesn't really give you a lot of attention in free agency. So I think for him, he was less inclined to return as well. And I think that's why things kind of took a long time uh, to develop, but uh, you know, I, I think it's a great move for both sides. Um, you know, the Braves definitely uh, they get their first baseman uh, for years and years and years to come. And, you know, the A's will get, got huge prospect capital, most of which will make major league appearances in the next couple of years.
0: I am moving on now. Uh, this is the, a trade with the Mariners and the Reds. Uh, the Reds and the Athletics both, you know, really unloaded players here uh, in the last you know week and a half. But the Mariners acquire Jesse Winker and Agenio Suarez, and the, they give the, the Reds Justin Dunn, Jake Fraley, and minor leaguer Brandon Williamson. Uh, I guess the, the biggest thing with this Mariners trade is they, acqu- um, you know, address their, like, hitting issue um last year they were the fifth weakest team in terms of slugging percentage and for them to get winker who's a play in the outfield for them and uh heading uh, suarez to play third base replacing kyle Seeger, i just had to make sure which one um they got two guys who uh winker who more recently has been like an absolute like menace offensively and suarez is the guy who last year uh definitely was a down year for him to say the least uh he did start to hit towards the end of the year in September uh the the silver lining on his year he had a 1.232 OPS and eight home runs so that is a good thing alone I I think that he is going to have um you know a, a rebound year. even though he had he had like 198 he still hit 31 home runs he's a guy who's hit almost 50 in a season and uh Winker like I mentioned is like a a 130 OPS type of guy year in and year out when he's, uh, you know, the last two seasons and in general, early, even early in his career when he had a few injuries and stuff, but um, he's, you know, obviously going to be healthy now. Uh, and now let's see, they have Winker in the outfield, but Hanager, and then they have, you know, Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kalanick, and Kyle Lewis. Um all on the horizon are just uh, starting to break into the league. So they have a lot of stuff to offer. Obviously, they have a DH spot. They can move one of those guys to as well. But um, I, I I, like what they did right here. And the Reds got, you know, Justin Dunn, Jake Fraley. I think both those guys you'll definitely see um, in the league this, uh, this year. Obviously, Justin Dunn being uh, – I guess they might put him in the rotation. And Fraley is an, is an infielder, and he probably gets some time with uh, the vacancies that the Reds have now.
1: Yeah, um, really good move for both teams again. um, I think that's a trend that we've seen uh, over the course of uh, you know this past week. But the M's get an outfielder that can provide a little bit of veteran, uh, you know, knowledge and wisdom towards the young guys they have coming up, and then they get their infielder uh, as a replacement for Kyle Seager. Uh, I think a lot of people were thinking they were going to get Chris Bryant, but that didn't happen. They get any here, Suarez, who's you know. A very good replacement. And then the reds acquire again, more prospect capital, um, you know, to cover for the stars that they're trading. So uh, yeah, really good trade in my opinion again.
0: Yeah. Now uh, next we got touch Andrew McCutcheon and goes to the Brewers uh, at this point. Uh, I, I think that his like best defensive days you can say are behind him, but he still has tons of value offensively. Um they, what's the what's the word I want to use here? Their, their their offense definitely had a a few holes, especially in the outfield. I would say, um, and with McCutcheon, he's still a very proven bat that just completely destroys lefties. Now, over the last five years, so like a massive sample size here, his OPS against lefties are is nine fifty seven, like that's like very like reminiscent of his MVP days, like in twenty thirteen um against righties he still has a very like good seven uh 744 you know i would say it's probably about an average so he's a guy that can still get it done um 25 30 home run type of guy so for the brewers they're a team that kind of still needs that like the offensive oomph to like really put them over the edge um like, they had that, like, insane starting rotation. They have a good back end of the bullpen. I think they kind of need to, like, strengthen the lineup a little bit more. But they're, they're still at the top dog in the, in the central.
1: Yeah. Um, another good bat, like you said, uh, to acquire. Another guy who can play the outfield for them. Uh, apparently, they have a thing for uh, acquiring older aging outfielders. But, I mean... The Brewers are very analytically driven, so I'm sure they saw something they liked. And I mean, these
0: boys still match; they get the job. Absolutely,
1: I mean that's what I was going to say. Kutch's bat is still there. Um, You know, he'll hold down left field for them very, very well, Uh, or right field depending on where they play. Yelich.
0: Yeah. No. Definitely. Uh, Next, now we are on to March 15th. We're slowly making our way through the week. Uh, Anthony Rizzo signs with the Yankees for two years, 32 million. I think I had it wrong on my sheet, so sorry about that, Travis. I screwed you there, but uh, he is well. He, he was traded to the Yankees last year, and uh, with the Yankee, the first bait market and how it was moving, that this is who the Yankees went with. Um, you of course, I guess I'll mention it now. Uh, led to Luke Voigt being traded to the Padres. They got a pitching prospect out of him. I'm blanking on his name right now. Do you remember who the prospect was for the
1: uh? For I Luke do Voigt? not, but I can look Lang. right now.
0: I thought I, I, that's Justin Lang. Oh, yeah. I had to think of it for a second. Yeah, Justin Lang is what they wound up trading him for. I'll get into Voight in a second. Uh, but back to Rizzo, uh, the Yankees uh, were, were reported they were going after first baseman, uh, another lefty bat. And I guess they got uh, with Rizzo a good defensive first baseman. Uh, at, at this point in his career now, uh, he is not like that 24, 2014, 2019 peak of Rizzo. But I still think he's a very good player, and for the value that the Yankees are going to get for him, it's definitely something they needed. Uh, at first base, this is um, like a very good defensive first baseman. This makes that entire infield better. I, I think that's kind of something the Yankees stressed this offseason, was just getting better defensively, and bringing back Rizzo is a huge part of that. It helps uh, the other three guys in the infield, not including the catcher, of course. And um, he picks it better than anyone else, and he's a lefty bat that can still mash. Uh, you know, good walk rate, good strikeout rate. Uh, still has a very good exit velocities and barrel percentages. So I, I think it, uh, for the 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 length for the um, the AAV at sixteen million, I, I think this is a good move for the Yankees.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, a former Gold Glover, really good to have on your team. One of the most consistent first basemen in the game, um, given his age as well. Uh, you know, age thirty two, heading in yeah, heading into his H32 season. So um, I, I don't think there's anything you can complain about with that. As a Yankees fan, it's also only a two-year deal, so they didn't really commit to much uh, there. But, yeah, definitely huge improvement defensively at first base. There were a lot of question marks surrounding Luke Boyd. Um, and, you know, we you mentioned him. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But to move on from him and bring in a guy with some veteran experience um, who, you know, can really take charge in your infield is – awesome especially with the other two guys on the left side that they acquired who are known for their defensive capabilities so yeah
0: exactly i mean and rizzo is just like a i know everyone loves him in in the clubhouse just with what we we've heard from like stuff coming out of chicago and he's a world series champion and like a proven leader so i think like all these things kind of culminate together and make it a really good signing for the yankees um next is the phillies signing Outfielder and designated hitter, Kyle Schwarber, uh, four years, and we didn't know at the time, but it's seventy-nine million. Gets nineteen million this year and twenty their other three. And Schwarber, um, he's a guy that is gonna just gonna be their DH primarily. He can play the outfield. It, he does play a little first base, but for the most part, he's gonna be a guy that's gonna be in that lineup and to do one thing and one thing only, and that is hit the baseball very, very hard and very, very far. Uh, he's a guy that. When you look at a Savant page, it's a whole lot of red. Uh, exit velocity 90%. Max e- uh, Exit Elo, 98. Hard Hit, 93. Expected Slug, 94. Walk Rate, 94. Uh, expected Woba, 95. Barrel percentage is 96. So this guy just makes great contact and does it consistently, has a very good eye. Uh, The strikeouts are there, but that's just kind of part of his game at this point. His chase rate is in the 89th percentile, so he does off pitches. Just, you know, he's very aggressive in the zone, but he also is patient in terms of just not taking those uh, outside pitches, which is evident, again, with the chase rate being in the 89th percentile and his walk rate in the 94th. Um, Schwarber, after, you know, having some really good years in Chicago, really turned it on last year. Um, I, I think if it w- wasn't for that the little injury he had, a little hiccup, that he would have had like an easy 30 home run season. Like you remember that May or June he had, he was just like an absolute menace. Um, I honestly kind of expect him to go back to Boston, so him going to Philadelphia was a little bit of a shock for me, but the Phillies get an insanely good bat, and uh, Travis, if you have anything else on Schwarber too, then you can add that.
1: I mean, yeah, you you mentioned it, you summed it up really well. You mentioned he hits the ball very hard, very far. That's definitely true. I think, uh, you know, he's a guy who's primed for that DH spot. And I think he's, you know, a younger version of Nelson Cruz. Um, He's going to just thrive in that DH spot for the rest of his career. Um, We saw him go on that. You mentioned his absolute tear in the middle of the summer. Uh, I really think that would have continued if he hadn't gotten hurt. Uh, but unfortunately, all the good things have to come to an end. So, uh, you know, that, um, but I, I'm sure we'll see something like that again in 2022. Uh, you mentioned his really good play discipline and really good power. Uh, it doesn't hit the ball for high average, but I mean, that's a trade-off that a lot of guys have to make. And, you know, as a DH, I think that's all you can ask for. So
0: Yeah, I mean, he a pretty good contract, I would say.
1: Absolutely. From, from where I mean,
0: he where he was like, a few years ago, uh, he really rebuilt that value. And now he's going to be, like, a, a, a one of the most feared hitters in the game. And a Phillies lineup, which, honestly, with, uh, you know, they had Nith Castellano, spoiler alert, coming up. As you guys probably already know, happened a few days ago. But that lineup is – that top five or top six now is really scary. And they're going to do damage in the East. Oh, yeah. Massive um,
1: pop in that Phillies lineup now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> uh, next uh, the winner of the uh, Suzuki sweepstakes was the Chicago Cubs signing for five years 85 million uh, obviously no MLB experience yet but last year uh, he hit 317 433 639 with 38 home runs um, I, I would think he's one of the best hitters coming out of Japan and years uh, I'm trying to think who, who we think the last like great hitter from Japan was like was it was it really Otani. Matsui? I guess Otani, yes, but he's like a hitter pitcher.
1: Well, but the um, most recent, but yeah, um, I think
0: Otani is like a different breed, and he's like the hitter pitcher. But I'm thinking just strictly position player. I think it was really it was really Matsui. For yeah. that's been a long time, but yeah, he uh, obviously yeah obviously I don't, I, you can't expect him to have that like type of slash line in the major leagues. Um, that's like an MVP slash on it right there uh, for him to be a, a very impactful player. I, I think it's all of us um kind of saw like the skill he has, He's a five-time all-star there has like an insane throwing arm from right field and he's coming off this monster year. So, I mean, the, the skills there, I just think he, it's going to have to maybe take some time to potentially translate into the major leagues. Could be totally wrong. That's just my opinion on that. But um, the Cubs I think are in a, a really good spot in terms of like their Post-Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, you know, uh, revamp, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. You know, they have got Stroman, Suzuki, probably the two big free agents so far. But I think the Cubs are in a pretty good spot right now.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think their, uh, their farm system is too bad either. I think they've got some pretty good prospects coming up. I know they have, uh, I believe Jordan Wicks is in their system. He's another really good arm who's going to be absolutely filthy when he gets called up. Uh, you know, big fastball, really good break. Um, but yeah, to get an outfielder like Suzuki, uh, you know, there, there's always an adjustment period, I think to an extent, um, you don't really see too many guys just hit the ground running and, you know, really, really have, you know, a ton of success. Um, but I think give him every day at bats at the major league level. And I think he'll be something special. Uh, you know, we saw, uh, I believe his name was ha Kim, uh, sign, last year uh, with the Padres uh, he, he was from Korea he played in the, the Korean league um, but I think the main reason he didn't do uh, as well as everybody was expecting him to was just the lack of consistent um, you know at-bats and, and innings that he that he got at the, at the major league level uh, you know it's, it's hard to get as an infielder when your infield consists of Hosmer, Cronenworth, uh, Tatis and Machado so Um, You know, he'll get more at bats. He signed a long contract. And I think it's the same thing with Suzuki. Um, He'll definitely get every day at bats and he'll be something special for sure.
0: Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, Next, we're going back to Toronto and the A's again, traded uh, third baseman Matt Chapman to the Blue Jays for shortstop Kevin Smith, pitcher Kirby Sneed and minor league areas Gunnar Hoglund, Hoglund and Zach Logue. Uh I think um Gunner is the, the biggest uh guy on that list. I'm not sure yeah. if I think that's for i what it was. I, I'm yeah, he was
1: uh, a top pick in twenty twenty, the twenty twenty draft I believe, or the twenty twenty one draft. I can't remember. Um but
0: it was last year, nineteen. Yeah, I think it, yeah,
1: he might have been the first round pick in twenty twenty one. Um because I, I know Martin was the first round pick in twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, it says uh, none of these players will be in the top one hundred prospects, which eventually came out. Uh, but I still think that the A's got a pretty like good haul for Matt Chapman. Oh, absolutely. Now, like you mentioned just, just between uh, the mats between Olsen and Chapman, they got like literally fielded a whole team. Yeah, like, they got a lot of guys there. But for Chapman, this just makes their like you no know, defense, especially and this their. Team infield. I guess I should start with the whole team, but you know, he, he makes the whole team better in every way. Um, <clears throat> last year, coming off of more of a down year for him, he had a, a lot more offensive prowess earlier in his career. Uh, obviously, still time to turn around. and it's also still a lot of good things to see. Um, most notably, the, the max exit velocity. He's still hitting the ball really hard. His ball percentage is at eighty-six percentile. Um, chase rate eighty-second. Walk rate ninety-first. And uh, the, the sprint speed and of average are both elites. Well, I guess more so is outspot of average at 99th percentile. Um, you know, obviously the expected batting average is K percentage, whiff rate, uh, stuff like that is where the most concern is in terms of who Matt Chapman is. But um, with him being like so protected now in this Blue Jays lineup, uh, I, I do expect him to, you know, obviously work on something. I expect him to uh, bounce back in a lot of ways. And his defense plays everywhere. And, the last time the Athletics traded their third baseman to the Blue Jays, like I won an MVP. So who you knows? Yeah. Like maybe there's gonna be a, some good track record going on there with uh, that type of trade and that player. But it'll come to see. But regardless, the Blue Jays getting Matt Chapman makes some, in my opinion, the uh, I it's so hard to say. It's still competitive, but like a favorite in the East. Like they just have so much going on right now. It's with all the moves they made too, and all the hype around them. Uh, I. My my mind keeps going to Toronto being a uh, favorite there. This all the, the the whole roster they have and what they've assembled, just top to bottom, gross.
1: I mean, naturally, I'm gonna say Toronto's the favorite, but I mean, uh, that's I, just I, I Toronto I, I, and I'm a fan, but biased. um, uh, with his defense alone, this is a very good move. Um, but the fact that he can hit the ball hard is amazing. Uh, he'll hit you know, in the, in the middle, not in the, not the middle, but you know, the, the you
0: middle, him, let's put him in the six hole and be fine. Yeah.
1: I, I was going to say bottom middle, something like that of that lineup um, won't hit at the bottom, but he's not going to hit right in the dead center. Um, but I mean, the, the main comparison between him and Donaldson, they're their two third basemen who are really good defensively, but they both hit the ball hard in Oakland. And uh, you know, that's just, it, it's a pitcher friendly ballpark. It's a big park. Uh, you get the wind blowing in uh, off the water and it's it's or not, not off the water, but you you get the wind blowing in and it's not, um, not a very Hitler hitter friendly park. And you really have to hit the ball very hard to hit the ball out there. So uh, you know, the fact that uh, you know, Chapman's moving into a dome with no wind and uh, definitely much shorter fences. uh, That's a huge bonus for his offensive capabilities. And I mean, Uh, You know, all all the tools are there for him to succeed offensively in Toronto. uh, You know, he's going to succeed defensively and hopefully his uh, labrum has recovered. um, So he's 100 percent heading into 2022. Um, That would be awesome for the Blue Jays. But defense alone, this is a great trade. Keeps Flatty at first, um, which is always great if you can get a guy like uh, Chapman to play third for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a game-changer, simply put. Uh, the next few, I'm just going to quickly gro- uh, gloss over Travis. If Go you have anything it. you want to add, you can just kind of jump in at any point. Um, the first being a swap between with the Reds and Royals. Amir Garrett is now a Kansas City Royal, and Mike Biner was switched to the Reds. Uh, I think just based off a lot of the moves that the Reds made, Uh, Minor is just gonna slot into the rotation with with the vacancies of like um Sonny Gray and Amir Garrett going to the Royals kind of just gives them another you know good bullpen piece. The Royals have a a lot of young arms in the rotation, have a pretty solid bullpen, and Amir Garrett is gonna probably find his way somewhere in the back end. And I honestly wouldn't be totally shocked if he gets some type of closing, uh, closing gig. I mean, I don't think the uh, the Royals have like a close by committee type of situation, so I, I can kind of see him sliding in there. Um, the Royals again, uh, Zach Greinke is going back to where he started with Kansas City, uh, with him being, like, 37, 38 years old after coming off of, you know, a few pretty solid years uh, after being traded to the Astros. He is making his way back. I, He's going to be, like, a, an inning-eater type of guy. He's still very effective. I guess Granky is, is a guy you can jump into more on Travis if you have any of his
1: page open real quick. Um I don't have his page open, but oh, uh, I mean Granky's
0: I mean, gonna give you 30 starts, Granky's gonna keep you in the ball game. Absolutely. Doesn't have that blow-away stuff like he did in 0-9 when he won the Cy Young or even in 15 when he was had like a one-six ERA or something like that. Is he's, he's a guy that is a control artist, he just attacks them and due to soft contact, has come really become like a very solid defensive pitcher as well. If you, uh, there's a lot of cool comebacks, you know, he's been drafted as well. So, I mean, I think he does all the little things right. And that's kind of what keeps him affected at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a finesse pitcher and, uh, given the state of the Royals rotation with, uh, um, uh, Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer being two young guys who could use a little bit of guidance, um, you know, from a guy like Greinke, who's been in the league forever, uh, you know, I, I really think he's uh, yeah, a very the, good that mentor role. It's, yeah, it's nice to see things come in a full circle. Not that, you know, Greinke only good for a, a mentor role. Uh, I think he'll definitely be able to go out and give you at least 150 innings, uh, quality innings as well, um, you know, uh, with that Royals team. So, yeah, uh, I, good signing for both sides. Nice to see things come in a circle.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the next little small move is Jock Peterson to the Giants. I guess based off his track record, I guess we can declare the Giants the World Series winners, with Peterson winning with the Dodgers and winning with the Braves last year. Um, <clears throat> I guess the big thing on him is he's a left-handed, uh, like power bat. Um, he got one year six million. I don't know if I mentioned that, so I apologize. Um, exit exit average exit velocity at an 80 percentile, max exit at 90, hard hit at 84 percent, barrel into 65 percent. Other than that, he has, you know, uh, doesn't walk a ton, uh, strikes out a lot, a lot of whiff in his game, chases a lot. So I think the Giants uh, are getting a guy who, you know, crushes uh, right-handed uh, batters. So I, I'm getting a little power in their lineup is Never a bad thing. Um, I guess we'll see how they they utilize him. They have a pretty good track record recently of acquiring these type of guys and you know developing them or unlocking something uh, in their game. And another thing too is he is a pretty notable postseason hitter. He's had a, a bunch of big home runs last year, like uh, most notably. And I think that the Giants will definitely find a role for Peterson, and uh, I I think he's he'll thrive in it.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I've learned about the Giants is do not doubt um, what's going on in that front office. I mean, they make every move for a reason. Um, you know, yeah. adding Peterson is huge. And yeah, I I think, uh, and it it's really surprising that the Giants would go after him because I know he was uh, thinking of potentially going to like Japan or something like that because he wasn't getting a lot of interest from teams or something. Apparently that's what he texted Brandon Crawford. And then a couple of days later, the the Giants offer him a deal. So, um, you know, I I think he's a good personality to have as well. Um, I I haven't really heard anything bad about him. And obviously he's got that swag with, uh, you know, his pearls from (laughs) playoffs and you know when he gets hot, he gets hot, and he's, uh, you know, he's definitely not a defensive liability. Um, but you know when his bat is hot, he's a guy yeah, you he, want to have in your lineup.
0: Yeah, he's definitely more one of those hitters that like when they get going, they hit bombs and they hit them in bunches. I hear that, that the old common expression. Um, and now finally, getting into some big boy moves here. The first being the Rockies sign outfielder and third baseman Chris Bryant, her seven-year, $182 million contract. Uh, this one definitely shocked me. Um, I think for a lot of obvious reasons, but just uh, the fact that Chris Bryant um, is going to the Rockies, just that's the team that wound up uh, pulling up the money in the first place. That's kind of the biggest shocker for me. Like just, I, I don't know, it blew my mind, to put it that way. Um, Chris Bryant is like a, a star player. He is, like, your, the epitome of, like, your super utility guy. Um, you, you can put him, really, in any position. He has experience there. Obviously, he's better suited in the corner outfielders or at third base. But I mean, he's the type of guy that, um, you know, does all the little things right, puts the ball all over the place, has some power, obviously. In recent years, not as much, but with the MVP in the bag and with him going the course field now, I, I think that, like, the, really the world is, is his oyster.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I'm in agreement with you. And I think a lot of people in the baseball world are in agreement with you. Nobody was really expecting Bryant to sign with the Rockies uh, coming out of the lockout. Uh, I think, you know, the, the teams that he was pretty much expected to sign with were either the Blue Jays, the Mariners, um, and there might have been. Yeah,
0: uh, it was more so a lot of contenders. That were in right. That's exactly. what I was trying to say. The, the fact that it was the Rockies kind of out of nowhere. That's what. That's what really caught me off guard. But I, I mean, and I mean, I'm nobody happy. really
1: thought the Rockies were even interested in him until like a couple of days yeah. before he signed, when the when the tweets started coming through that he was interested in, uh, yeah, that was or fun. that the, the Rockies were heavily interested in him. But the Rockies are a kind of team that uh, really like those multi-positional, versatile guys. Uh, you know, they have McMahon as well, um, who we'll get to in a bit. I'm
0: honestly gonna talk about that now. I mean, with Ron, yeah, it, sure. It, that's what happened today but uh although first you can finish anything on Brian you have but you have anything else quickly sorry I, I, I mean
1: other than it, it's really nice to see him rebound from 2020 that was a little bit disappointing uh, defensively or sorry offensively um, you know he's really good to have defensively because of his positional versatility and the fact that he's very good defensively as well. Um, but it's nice to see that power and average resurgence, uh, similar to his 2019 form. And if you can continue that for a while, that'd be great. And I mean, I think the reason he went to the Rockies is he's got his ring. Uh, the Rockies were probably willing to overpay by a very large amount compared to the rest of the offers he had. Um, and you know, he just decided to secure the bag and I don't blame him.
0: Yeah, no, good on him. And uh, I guess we'll see where they utilize him. Because uh, with uh, McMahon now he has you know he's primarily been the third baseman, uh you know last year he played most of his games there, 113 game appearances, 95 game start, and then other he plays which maybe they could move him to is second base where he had 44 starts. Uh, Ron McMahon, I think last year you can really say is his best overall season, uh just in terms of, of like value, uh to you know uh, his offense caught off to where his defensive value is like he's definitely been like a defensive first player for a large part of his career and his defense is still elite is out above average uh, is in a 97th percentile and then we saw a bunch of encouraging things from him like his average exit velocity max exit velocity hard hit percentage were all the hardest of his career his walk race at 65% is like nice and cozy a little bit above the major league average so I think again for him to get that six years $70 million extension just like Bryant, like, like good on him for you know, securing uh, the money right out in front, locking himself up. And I think from here and forward, you can expect him to be like a very quality major league player going forward,
1: yeah, for sure. And I think both uh McMahon and Bryant will benefit from playing in Coors uh for years to come. You know, uh, you look at McMahon's average, uh, it's pretty much like very average, um, with the league, like 250. Uh, it's it's nothing special, but. Um, when you look at his power compared to his average for a guy like him, his power kind of is a little bit more and it's, uh, you know, probably a, a product of the Coors effect, you know, especially um, 32 doubles in 2021. Uh, I'm sure quite a few of those were attributed to the uh, the fact that the ball travels further in uh, Denver, but um, you know, you, you mentioned his defense and I think both him and Bryant are, very much defensive oriented guys. Brian is a little bit more offensively oriented, but um, it, it provides them a lot of uh, versatility in that infield. Obviously neither one's going to play first because uh, they got crone, but, and, and seconds even up in the air because of Brendan Rodgers. But I, I think.
0: Yeah, they'll uh, find time. especially if D. Yeah, exactly.
1: And Brian he can play center field as well. Um,
0: uh, I don't know if he'll be
1: there. He'll play corner outfield for sure. Um, but the, the Rockies will figure things out for him.
0: Yeah, I feel like they probably put Tapia on those guys. I yeah,
1: I would think so. Too. Center,
0: if anything. Um, but yeah, no, that's it was definitely a huge move there, and I, I think this one honestly is bigger, and that is the Dodgers signing Freddie Freeman to a six year, one hundred and sixty two million dollar contract. Um, once we saw the trade happen for Olson again, we knew that uh, Freeman was essentially going to be gone. Uh, the fact that the Dodgers, with all in all the speculation that many teams, is pretty it's still pretty crazy for me at, at this point you can almost say like a pre-risk quit to join the dodgers lineup is to have like an mvp in the bag at this point like you no know, they're just adding like this the best players in the game so good on that for doing that and, and freddie freeman you're getting a guy that when you open baseball savant it's one of the more beautiful things you will ever see in your life and if you look at this entire career there's just so much red but, like, any way you want to slice it, too, like, he hits the ball hard. He hits it consistently. He has an expected batting average of, of his percentile at 100%. His Wobo is 98%, slugging 96%. His strikeout rate 86 his walk rate 87%. He doesn't whiff a lot, doesn't chase a lot. I guess the only knock on him, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but, I mean, when you do everything else well, and even last year, he rated pretty good defensively as above average of eighty six percentile. But like they're getting a guy that even going into his age, like, 32 season – is going to be like an absolute like menace and in, in Major League Baseball for, you know, probably a large majority of that contract. So good on Freddie there for sure.
1: Yeah, huge move. Um, that was a huge shocker, especially since a lot of people thought he was going to go to Toronto, uh, given the fact that he does have Canadian roots. Um, but the fact that he goes to the Dodgers just makes everybody hate the Dodgers even more. Um, you, you mentioned the speed. Um, nobody's really like the Dodgers aren't looking for speed um they're looking for guys who will put the ball in play and hit the ball hard so uh you know if if you have speed that that's an added bonus they already have Trey Turner so i mean that he kind of covers speed for the entire lineup <laughs> but uh and they'll have uh you know Pollock's got some speed left and uh Taylor as well so um you know they definitely were not looking for speed with that Freeman signing they were just looking for a guy who can hold down first base for them uh for years to come
0: yeah no definitely I I just I still can't believe it. That's like a Death Star lineup. No, absolutely. I I don't even know how like any pitcher even like pitches against that. Like I know if I was ever a pitcher in the major leagues, I would just probably walk off the mound. Yeah. (laughs) No, the Dodgers are
1: gonna be a team to avoid for pitching matchups this year. That's
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I mentioned it quickly. I'll gloss over it again. Um, the Yankees straight Luke Voigt to the Padres and received minor league pitcher, Justin Lang. Lang was drafted 34th, 34th overall in the 2020 draft. I think that he's like a, like a very good lottery ticket like a high volume fastball. Uh, I, I think the Yankees, you know, you're not going to see him for like two years, but they kind of got a good farm pick there. And, uh, with Voight, he was almost the odd man out, similar to, you know, uh, when Olsen went to the Braves. I kind of w- was like, okay, when when Rizzo joined the Yankees, uh, I think I had a lot of people thinking where Luke Voight was going to be going more than where he's been playing on the Yankees. Um, just it, Even though he's been a fantastic hitter, he has a 100, uh, 132 OPS plus with the Yankees since he's come here. Like He's been fantastic, led the league in home runs during the COVID year. Um, I think it really just comes down to um, him not having like a, a set role. Uh, the Yankees went with the left-handed defensive first uh, Rizzo. Uh, you have DJ Mayhew who's gonna have to find time, just with uh, the player who he is and just his contract. Um, and the Yankees had to move on from you know they went up trading him, or trading for him from the Cardinals uh, back in 2018 uh, for Giovanni Gallegos and Chase and Sreve. So. I, I think they, for them to, you know, trade trade for him, get a lot of value out of him, and then still getting a fairly good pitching arm for him. The Yankees, you know, went up winning out on that, so it's good on them for, you know, addressing some needs, getting some uh, pitching depth, and and a really good prospect in Lang. Um, now another big move here is a one-year, sixteen million dollar deal for Kenley Jensen. Um, it kind of seems like the Braves almost like. I don't even say like revenge move for taking Freeman, but they're kind of like, all right, we'll just we'll take uh we'll take Kenley off your back, and Kenley has been one of the best relief pitchers in the game since he arrived in 2010. Uh, after you know a few years of him kind of sliding down, he had a like revival, is like the best way to put it. He incorporated like some new pitches, like a sinker, Uh, regained some speed on uh some velocity on his pitches, and the end result was. Uh, two, two, two ERA and striking out more than eleven per nine. So, even going to his age, like thirty-four season now, whatever I think he's thirty-four, he's still like a very elite uh, relief pitcher, and he will be the closer for the Braves, uh, slotting Will Smith to the setup role.
1: Yeah, um, you know, but having Smith and uh, and Jansen as your you know eighth and ninth inning guys is. No, it's it's a
0: great place to be. Um, I mean, we also saw how good that bullpen was in the postseason with uh, how everyone kind of showed up and did their job. So I I think there's a lot to like with the Braves' Um, bullpen. I think there's a lot to like with their lineup. I think there's a lot to like with the the arms they have in that rotation. It's really them or Mets for the East, the two best teams there. And I I think the Braves just continuing to go out and just get players and make these big moves. This shows how serious they are, and like they're repeating in any sport, especially baseball, is tough. And I, I think if you want to just look at teams that have won in recent years, that uh, this Braves team might have one of the better chances of repeating, just with how um, like deep their team is. Uh, we saw them win last year; they won like eighty nine games that were decimated by injuries, and they have all those guys coming back from injury or these guys they lost in general. So uh, I, I'm really liking this Braves team, and. We'll see what happens moving forward with them. I
1: I mean, you have to remember like that. This was a Braves team where at the all-star or at the halfway point of the season, people were thinking they were going to be tanking at the trade deadline. And like people were throwing around the notion of them trading away Freeman at the deadline. So a lot of those 89 wins came after, um, you know, in the second half of the season. So, um, you know, really good on them uh for for you know making those moves at the deadline and you know uh, obviously they lost a few of those guys but they also made some big additions this offseason to cover for them and i think they're in pretty much the same spot they were um starting at the beginning of uh you know last year plus they're going to have i believe they're going to have Soroka back yeah he'll um, be back some at point. some point and yep. Acuña will be healthy so you know they're pretty much back at square one from you know where they were at the beginning of last yeah, I guess square one's a bad word to use, but they're they're in the same really good position. Um, so good on the Braves.
0: Yeah, no, and we're, we're getting close now. I Promise, we're almost there. March eighteenth, the last move of that day is the Phillies signing a five-year, one hundred million dollar contract with uh, Nick Castellanos. Um, now like the the heart of that order, in some particular order, they have Schwarber, like I mentioned before, they have Castellanos, they have Harper, they have Ramuto. Hoskins Segura. Um, I think that those like six, seven guys, and they still have, you know, like Alec Baum, DD, and there at some point, you know, they have a lot of offensive, um, like, uh, guys to go to. I know the, the last few guys I mentioned are not world beaters at, by any means, but I think that their lineup is so deep now. And, uh, we, with, um, Schwaber going to be slotted as the DH. You're going to see Castellanos primarily in the outfield, and uh, I guess definitely in the corner outfield. So, I guess left field with Harper and right. So, you basically have. I think that's going to be the last major move the Phillies make. They have put a lot of money into this team, and this this offense has so much power now. So, I guess we'll see what they kind of do there.
1: Yeah. Um. They. I think the Phillies. Um number one priority this offseason was fix up their bullpen and add a ton of pop into that um, that lineup. And, you know, uh, if they're not one of the two favorites to win that division, uh, the NL East, very competitive, I think they're going to give teams a huge run for their money. Um, and, yeah, it it's going to be a very, very yeah. competitive division. Uh,
0: the power fills for sure at lineup in Nash. Uh, one quick one I'm gonna gloss over between the, in the last like three big moves we have, um the uh, Tigers signed Michael Pineda to a one-year 5.5 million dollar deal plus incentives. Uh, the Tigers are teamed on the up. Um, they acquired Javier Baez, which is a big splash. They have Torkelson and Riley Green. Uh, they're both basically knocking on the door at this point, and they have a very young rotation of Mize, Scooball, and Manning, who all I think will have, like, you know, a pretty decent role this year. They also got Eduardo Rodriguez way earlier in this offseason, felt like a million years ago. Uh, but now with Pineda, they have another veteran arm that has shown flashes throughout his entire career of being, like, a that two-pitcher. Uh, just has really uh, electric stuff, um, I think his biggest, like, um, what's the word? I'm I'm blanking right now. You know, um, this podcast is draining me, Travis. It's so long. Uh, like his slider is like his best, like you know, asset in terms of just like, attacking hitters. is just, uh, like very sharp break, a lot of horizontal break, and I think that if he can like maybe even use that as his primary pitch, off his fastball, that that is something that. Uh, the, the Tigers could um can toy with, and he can be a really good pitcher for them. Um, uh, now moving on a little more. Let's see. Uh, we are the nineteenth that we the call is Correa deal, three years, one hundred and five million with opt outs after uh, twenty two and twenty three. Um, Travis, since I've been talking for like ten minutes straight at this point, I feel like you can you can talk, you can break this one down.
1: Yeah. So. This is an interesting deal, um, in in my opinion, um, just because when you look at how it's structured, uh, it's similar to Trevor Bauer's deal, um, where it's somewhat high average, but um, you know, a very, you know, he's got opt outs after every single year, so he could return to the market theoretically and sign a big deal next year. But you know, Correa was. You know, Harold did as a, um, uh, you know, as the number one free agent, um, uh, top of the class heading into this offseason. And for him to sign a deal like that is a little bit, you know, peculiar for me. It, it raises some questions just in terms of health and what kind of went on with his market. I know he kind of said some stuff about um, the Yankees that uh, I guess as an organization they didn't really like, but. Even if the Yankees weren't um even if the Yankees weren't you know in in the sweepstakes for Carlos Correa, there were still a ton of other teams who can you know sweep in and, and pick him up and for the twins to not that there's an issue with the twins picking them up, but um, just the fact that um, you know he signed the deal. He did, you know, $35 million for, for one season is very, very good. And I mean, obviously the, the contract amounts to a lot more, but um, just the fact that he signed a deal with lots of opt-outs and it wasn't like, you know, what you were expecting to be maybe a six or eight year deal for, um, you know, $300 million, like everybody was expecting him to sign. It, it just raises a few questions for me. Um, you know, is his back okay? Um you know is it a personality thing because um, I, I know a lot of people think he's uh not the best clubhouse personality um so there there's a few things that get brought up for for me um when, when i see that uh contract just a few red flags but i mean nevertheless he gold uh, platinum glover um i believe he won the the platinum glove um in uh last year uh, very good defensively at a at a position that's very tough to be good defensively at uh, and he's good offensively as well um hits for pretty high average also hits uh you know in the high 20s home runs he'll score a ton of runs for you and he'll drive in a ton of runs as well um and i you know at the age of 27 i think his speed's still there we saw the astros uh kind of adopt a philosophy that did not uh really emphasize stolen bases. And, you know, that's shown throughout his career from 2015 on his stolen bases declined significantly. Um, But I think his speed's still there with the twins. We'll see him steal a ton more bases and his plate discipline is a really big thing Uh, for him. It's really good. It's in his favor, Uh, you know, walk percentage of 11.7% and a K percentage of 18.1% in 2021. So, uh, you know, that's a trend that's continued throughout his career, high walk percentage, low K percentage. Um, And, you know, overall, he's a really good chippy hitter. um, And I think he'll be pretty good in Minnesota, um, given the fact that, uh, you know, they have a vacant spot at shortstop. Um, And I I think this deal also, uh, you know, just to circle back to the deal, um, it also benefits the Twins as well, um, because they do have Royce Lewis coming up through their system. Um, so, you know, obviously they didn't want to commit to, you know, a, a massive contract for over a span of eight years or something like that for, for a guy like Correa, um, just because, you know, obviously they have this prospect coming up who's supposed to be very, very good. Um, and, you know, they, they don't want to jam themselves into a position where they, they got to move their big man off uh, shortstop or they got to play Lewis in a position he's not comfortable with. So, you
0: know, I, I think that this is like a really good deal for both sides. It works out for them. Uh, I guess the, the landing spot with the twins is not something I expected at all. But I mean, up the middle, this team now has Korea, Polanco and Buxton, which is really kind of as good as it can get especially on the defensive side with Correa and Buxton as being absolute machines. And then they also have Orshela, Sanchez, Sano, Kepler, uh, Trevor Lenark, and Alex Kuloff, Luis Arias. Uh, I guess I use their full names. I guess most, they are less known there, but they have a really good lineup now too. I, I think offensively and defensively, they're very like sound team. Uh, the, the last thing that they still need to do is – go after a little bit more pitching. And if that's the case, I think they can challenge the White Sox.
1: For sure. Um, I don't know if they will be a better team than the White Sox, but they'll definitely give them a run for their money. And, you know, over the course of the season, who knows, maybe the Twins will come out as a better team if they make some moves at the deadline. We'll see. But, I mean, I I don't have issues with this deal by any means. Despite what I said, I don't have any, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad deal. I just there's a few red flags that uh, get brought up in my mind when I kind of see how the deal is structured and given the circumstance of, uh, you know, Korea's position heading into this off season and, um, you know, what people were expecting him to uh, Um, get in terms of...
0: uh, I mean, I I wouldn't really view that as a red flag. I I think it was definitely a a creative way for him to navigate the off season. Um, my, My guess would be that, the, the the big contract that he wanted he wasn't making the suitors he expected i mean it, it's really hard when you know he might be like the prize shortstop but uh there, there was like four four or five other like really good shortstops on the market this year there would have been another one if lindor didn't get locked up so i mean maybe he's expecting lindor money he's, he's that type of like caliber of a player but you know there's just so many shortstops and there's only so many suitors and a lot of those guys got paid earlier on, so I guess maybe waiting out um, potentially costed him getting that big payday this offseason, but he is well set up to, you know, reset and is going to the um, season next year or the year after as the best shortstop once again, and not having that same competition, so I think Correa... Uh, in, in a sense, is betting on himself. He's going to like a team that can win right now. So he, he's not, you know, he's not going to a rebuilding team by any means. Like it's a team that really revamped themselves in terms of just the players he had and that lineup. And so uh, I think that for him doing this, he's putting himself in his the best position possible while still making you know thirty five million dollars a year. So overall, I, I I like the move on both sides. I like how creative it got. I like how it works for both sides in terms of, you know, Korea getting a chance to reset, betting on himself, and uh, with the Twins getting a stopgap shortstop and calls Korea, You know, I think you look at it anyway, it, it really works out. I, I feel like you're maybe the only losers you can look at are maybe other teams that were looking at Korea and didn't get that same type of, like, structure deal, which I think is, you know, again, I think those type of deals work out the best for both sides. Um, the Marlins sign... Outfielder and designated hitter Jorge Soler to three years, 36 million with an opt outs also after 22 and 23. Again, I personally just love of this uh, structure. Um, Soler has some money on the table, he has a three years on the table, but again, it's, it's almost like he's locked up but also betting on himself at the same time. It, it kind of creates that win win environment for both the team and the player. Um the Marlins are a team that definitely could use some power in their lineup and getting Soler does that in a big way. Uh average X velocity 83 percentile, max exit 99th, hard hit 79th, X-Wobo, 79th, slugging 81, barrel 82 percent, walk rate 78th percentile, chase rate 80 percentile. He's a guy that will strike out a little bit, has some like uh swing and miss in his game, but the power that he brings like more than makes up for that. And uh, I know last year he hit 13 home runs and offensively he really kind of hit his stride towards the end of the year, especially in the postseason with, with the Braves. But for a guy that you know had uh, like a 30 home run season, had almost a 50 home run season, hitting 48 in like 2019, yeah, 2019, um, I think is a good pickup for the for the, for the fish.
1: Yeah. um, You know, we've seen him showcase his power on a very, very high um, level over the course of his career. I believe he had 45 home runs or something like that a few years ago, uh, not too long ago, he showcased his power again with the Braves in the playoffs, huge clutch clutch hitter. Um, You know, he'll hit in the heart of that. Marlins lineup with uh, Jesus Aguilar Um, and, you know, uh, again it's that contract structure that you really like and uh you know it gives both teams a little bit of security uh the player especially and you know uh the marlins they they missed out on castellanos but uh they still get a high impact bat that uh you know really rounds out their lineup pretty well i know they're they're looking at brian reynolds um i think that'd be huge if they could get reynolds but i think stopping at Soler, i think they still have a very competitive lineup. Um, I know the NL East, we've talked about a ton, um, this, uh, this episode, but, um, I mean, the fact that the Marlins have put together this team, I think in a lot of other divisions, maybe aside from the AL East and maybe the NL West, um, it would be a very competitive team. Um, and and it could possibly be a, a wild card contender in the American league, but, um, just given the fact that, um, you know, they're going up against powerhouses, uh, uh, the Phillies, the Mets, and the Braves. Um, You know, they they kind of fall uh, at the short end of the stick when when you look at uh, the other teams that are in their division. So, um, but I I definitely don't think they're going to be a team that you can just kind of sit back and relax and, uh, you know, half-ass the games you play against them. They're going to give you a run for your money and they're going to be a very, very competitive team. And I, I don't think they're record at the end of the season is going to, uh, you know, reflect the talent that they have on their team, despite all the moves that they've made so far.
0: Yep. All right. Last but not least, finally here, Travis, Man, like almost That's 90 minutes low. since this recording. I'm falling asleep at the wheel. We got the Red Sox signing infielder Trevor Story, six years, $140 million. The big thing with the Red Sox, I guess, is the fact that they have so many moving pieces. So there's a lot of stuff that can be moved even just after next year. Uh Trevor Story will is probably gonna slot in at second base. The Red Sox still have Xander Bogart under control. He can opt out after this year. So that is something I guess to potentially look out for. Um it could be some type of a um what's the word? Insurance policy in case, you know, Xander does wind up opting out, but up the middle, Xander Will play short Trevor Story, who has not played a single game at second, will probably be at second base. But with him being like a fantastic defender, uh, I think going from the shortstop to second base transition will be like easy as cake for him. I expect no issues there. The Red Sox now have a insane lineup. Um, like, you know, like JD Martinez, Rafael Devers, Trevor Story. Those really like, the top three guys. I feel like I'm missing like you know Verdugo, you can mention too, Bogarts. You know, obviously. Yeah, okay. So. What?
1: Dalback, Bobby Dalback. Yeah, Dalback hit well. hit a little bit. Um,
0: uh, I guess with the Red Sox, because they're gonna break into it a little bit more. It uh puts him at second, which puts Enrique Hernandez probably to center field. Uh Jackie Bradley, the who they brought back in the corners, they have Jaron Duran. Um isn't get you know some time uh, elsewhere. Um they have the shortstop, Marcelo Meyer coming up. So I mean there's a lot of stuff going on. Christian and Royal is still part of the team who I think that's a pretty solid option for them as well. But back to story, uh, everyone kinda points out those home road splits. I, I, I seriously I'm I'm someone who doesn't really factor the course effect like nearly as much as I did like a few years ago. Like we saw, you know, first Matt Holliday be the first big guy to leave and still produce uh, DJ Mayhew with the Yank coming to the Yankees. Nolan Arenado last year with the Cardinals. These guys all left you know, that core's field environment and still produce at like, all-star levels once they left. I I see a similar thing happen with Trevor Story. I think he's just too good of a player um, for him to, you know, just to struggle like that. And I feel like there's a ton of reasons why players have like you know, issues there or whatever it is. I, I think the core's effect is a lot more complex that, than people think and that just because you know they might have home road that splits uh shouldn't really take you know it shouldn't be directly correlated to the course effect or just playing on course field i mean like players home run splits uh, tend to be better at home no matter where they are you know it's just kind of where you are too i know the ball obviously moves different like breaking balls don't move as much and maybe when they go away like um just the pitches just move differently like, uh, again like uh, this is me more so spitballing at this point but it just there's just so much going on with the playing course field and not. So I think that with him not being in course field, 81 games a year though, I I think it would help him overall with everywhere else he goes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, uh, you know, you, you talked about the course fact a lot. I'll I'll bring up the fact that he loves hitting in uh, Boston. That's, that's what I've heard. He loves hitting at Fenway. So huge confidence boost for him at the plate. Um, You know, some guys just like hitting in certain parks. And I mean, you look at a guy like Willie Adamas, he doesn't like hitting in one specific ballpark, but um, you know, huge confidence boost for a guy like Trevor story. Um, You know, I I don't think the positional switch is going to uh, impact him that much. You know, obviously he's going to be playing a different infield position, but he knew that when he signed the contract, uh, obviously. So Uh, You know, obviously, that's something he's okay with. Um, And, you know, I I think the Red Sox are really good up the middle. Uh, Their lineup is also very, very good. And, you know, I I don't know if they have a DH anymore. Um, I I could be, oh, JD Martinez. Never mind. They do have a DH. (laughs) My bad.
0: Um, it's been a long day for us, Travis. So, it's read, been a long day. 10. It's been
1: a long episode, but I was going to say maybe they could DH him a little bit, but who knows, maybe they'll uh, move things around a little bit. I know Martinez can still play in the outfield. So, um, you know, they, they definitely have the lineup flexibility to move things around and uh, maybe Devers gets moved to third or to first and, and story goes in place third or something like that. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, there. But um, you know, this was probably the huge most recent move, um, or the biggest, most recent move uh, out, out of any team. So, um, you know, I think Story was one of the bigger free agents left on the market um, when he signed. So uh, yeah, for him to go to Boston, was. I mean, that just makes the AL East a powerhouse. Um, uh, know, yeah, you know, I mean, it already was, but now, you know, the Red Yeah, no, exactly. Up. That's what I mean. Like with all the moves that the Jays have made, um, you know, it, the AL East has always been a powerhouse. Look at last year. I mean, you had um you know four teams fighting for four teams
0: uh, win 90 games
1: <laughs> exactly yeah you'd yeah it, it's ridiculous and it's going to be like that again we might have two teams win 100 games um three teams maybe even uh win 100 games in that division that would be insane about know. That.
0: That, i don't know it's possible i mean I, I think eventually when they switch off to like the, the new cba with them you know um uh, spreading out like you every team plays every team every year Instead of like the uh, the massive like um, nineteen divisional games and whatever everything like that, so I guess maybe that will shake things up a little bit. But yeah, no, I, I don't even think a hundred wins,
1: three hundred. I mean, wins you teams. never know. Definitely ninety. We'll see ninety. But I mean, yeah. the Red Sox look really good. Like despite losing out on Erod, I think their rotation is pretty solid. I mean, they're um, you know,
0: they're the down major... they're down Erod and they lost Sale for time too. So. I, I think I mean, they still have some things to work they out. They still
1: have Whitlock and Houck, though, who are going to be absolute like they're going to be disgusting. Um, both yeah. those guys. So I I don't think the Red Sox are in that bad. Obviously, don't get me wrong. Losing Erod and Sale is, um, you know, a, a big impact to their rotation. But they have young guys who they can use. Um, and I, I don't really think they're in that bad of a position as a lot of people think they are.
0: No, I don't think they're in a bad spot by any means. Just that. I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think about like what if, if, out of the five teams, obviously Baltimore is not winning 90 games. <laughs> but out of the other the four main teams, if there's one team that I would pick to not win 90 games and finish in the 80s, or probably Boston.
1: Not the Yankees with that rotation?
0: No. I think the Yankees are, above, are still above a 91 team. Uh, where they're going to finish, and I have no idea. I, I think the Blue Jays are going to be in that, like that 95 range. I think Tampa is, again, going to be in that 95 range, pushing 100. The Jays, too, obviously, just, you know, projecting 100 wins for a team is, is super tough. I mean, unless are yeah, the no, Dodgers. Yeah, don't get me
1: wrong. That was probably a little bit ambitious, but, I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, know, unless the Dodgers. I, like I, I, think I think the Dodgers are the only team that you could legitimately put 100 wins and be like anything less than that you're like what what went wrong <laughs> you know oh, it's like,
1: definitely a letdown if the Dodgers don't win 100 games this year so like, that's yeah they they got good, a,
0: yeah I think like 100 games is like kind of that mark for the Dodgers but any every other team it's you know 100 wins is still a great season you know Absolutely. the Rays sat around 100 the last two years I guess the last two full seasons or they were in first place at least I think actually I think last year they had won 100 I think that was a franchise record. If I remember correctly, but again, they they are that team is still insanely talented and getting in a ninety-five range. I think is very comfortable for me to pick is the Rays ninety-five wins, Blue Jays like that night, ninety-four wins. You know, like they're right there. The Yankees, yeah. I think ninety-two wins, Boston like eighty-six to eighty-eight wins, and then you Baltimore. Yeah, we'll they're see. They're on the, like they're you on said, the way up. I I I think. Bear. I think the, I think Baltimore's team is like they're 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 slowly making their, their way towards uh, being like a you know I mean I do want to say as good as the other four teams in the East but they're a, a becoming a very quality like major league team right now and I, I think uh you know the, the win loss record won't represent that because of the the four beasts that they're gonna be have to face like so many times this year really exactly I
1: mean the. The NL East is going to be like the NL West. I just think the NL East is going to be that much better because you've got four quality teams as opposed to three. I I would say the Marlins are are a quality team as well, but I don't think they're on the level of...
0: No, they're not on the same level as the Braves and the Mets, but again, when it comes to the Marlins, they have so much talent, especially in that rotation. Uh, Adding Soler to that lineup too just makes it a little bit better um enough for me to like or for enough for i guess hmm. it it makes i think it pushes them in like the the average major league lineup like you know and again in around like 20 to like 15 like 13 on that range somewhere like they they have a a lot of things going right for them and both sides of the ball and uh, I I still think that if they can make another little splash and get another bat in the lineup too, that they can just be that much better. And um, just like the Orioles, but to like a, a larger degree because they are, I think, just like a, a much more talented team right now in terms of like their the overall organization what they have going on at the major league level. That their win loss record again won't be like the best like um representation of the team they have because they have so much talent and they just have you know two and a half really good teams ahead of them i think the the, the mets and braves are counted as a one and two and then i think the phillies uh they're not in that same tier but we, we, we talked about how like nasty that offense is and they still have like a, a very a very solid rotation and a veteran bullpen too so i mean they're they're the phillies are anything are more of a wild card team like we Kind of see like what the hell happened to them, and the nationals have a lot of good pieces. But again, I'm waiting. I think compared to the fish, that I think the fish kind of had the other nationals beat, yeah, at the moment. But uh, I guess any closing thoughts to this monster? This has
1: been a hell of an episode. Yeah,
0: I, I know. Maybe splitting things up would have been a good idea, but I, I just really wanted to, for us to catch up and just kind of grind oh, through okay. this. So I'm I'm glad we kinda put the pedal to the metal and finally caught up. COVID can't keep us down. Oh no it can. resilient as it gets. But uh thank you all for listening, especially if you made it this far. If you made it this far, you are our number one fan. Um <laughs> Make sure to follow Travis on Instagram and TikTok at MLB Fantasy Guru. Uh, Follow us on the socials at apt underscore pod. And we'll catch you all next time.